Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, everybody. Hey, uh, good morning. Uh, Today, we're going to continue, kind of wrap up a little mini-series we've been doing for the last few weeks, uh, where we've essentially been talking about uh, the way of prayer leads to the way you believe, which leads to the way you live. We've had this little, this little, uh, this little thing that Dan Wilk gave to us, this little formational uh, cue that he gave to us uh, three weeks ago. Dan Wilt is one of our friends in the vineyard who was with us, and he gave us this this formational cue, and it was, it was in Latin, and so when you read them together, it sounds like Lord of the Ring magic. And it sounds like this, lex orandi, lex credandi, lex vivendi. And what that means essentially is the way you pray becomes the way you believe, and the way you believe becomes the way you live. And so what we've been unpacking for the last three weeks is, well, how should we pray given that we want to be like Jesus? Like, what are the ways in which you would pray and how would that affect the way you believe and how would those beliefs change who you are? And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Kate's already read it once this morning. We'll get to it in a moment. But first, first I just want to talk to you about formation for a minute. And I want to say this right up front. We talk a lot about formation here at the Vineyard. Uh, and we talk a lot about formation for three principal reasons. And when I say formation, I mean, I mean the process of becoming a particular kind of person. And, and, and this is a big topic for us here at the Vineyard because we're hoping to become particular kinds of people. But we talk about formation here at the Vineyard a lot for three principal reasons. Uh, the first is this. We are all being formed by something. Uh, no one in the room is an unformed person. Every single person in the room right now is currently being formed by something. And so the question for every disciple of Jesus is, what is it that's forming me? Do I know? Am I aware at all of the forces that are at work in my life that are shaping me to be a particular kind of person? So number one, why? Because everyone's being formed. Everyone's being formed. Number two, uh, number two is this. Paul says in Romans 8, 29, he says, God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. And we want to cooperate. We want to cooperate with the initiative of the spirit. Uh, In another version of that same verse, maybe a different translation, it says this, God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Like, why do we talk about formation so much here at the vineyard? Uh, Well, number one, because everybody's being formed. Number two, because God has determined in advance that everyone would be formed to the image of his son. And so the question for us as disciples is, would you like that now or later? Would you like that now or later, right? Would you, not, would you like that now or later? And here's what I've learned in my life. The more we can anticipate the future, the better it is for us. And in fact, that'd be a good way of understanding what it means to be a kingdom person or a disciple of Jesus. Someone who is currently anticipating the future. And not just... 10 years from now, but I'm talking about the ultimate capital F future, the one, the kingdom that is going to come. Like when Jesus begins to reveal all of his glory, when you are in God's presence, 
What kind of future is that? Well, let's just go ahead and let's just go ahead and anticipate that now. Uh, number three, the reason we talk about formation so much here at the vineyard is is this: no one becomes like Jesus on accident. No one becomes like Jesus on accident. No one falls down the stairs and then stands up and is more like Jesus. It doesn't happen. It takes intention. Like it's God's intention that you would be in would be formed to the image of his son, but it also takes, it takes our intention to say, you know what, God, I, I would like to respond to your spirit in this way. And here's why. Because God is not coercive. God, doesn't, God will not make anyone become like his son. Instead, he invites. He has predestined it. It's his will. But God's will always works by invitation. If you notice, when you read the gospels, Jesus doesn't make anyone do anything. He always invites So even in our formation, God is inviting us to be a different kind of person. And this doesn't happen by accident. And so the question for disciples is, who is forming me? Who is forming me? Can I anticipate the future? And then number three, number three, because no one becomes like Jesus by accident. Have I I engaged my will? Have I made it my choice? Is it my goal? Is it somewhere written down that I would become like Jesus? And when we talk about the word formation, I think it's also important for us to to look at the root word of the word formation, which is the word form. And maybe you've heard, maybe you've heard this phrase before, form follows function. Anybody here heard that phrase before? Just the engineers? Form follows function. It's the idea that the two are somehow related. And it's really the idea that the particular functions are constrained to particular forms. I actually want to say that again because it's actually pretty important. It's the idea that particular functions are constrained in your mind, underline the word constrained. That's actually a discipleship word, constrained to particular forms. Uh, I'd like you to think of a few things. Number one, think of flying birds, right? Some of you are like, think of flying birds. That's a dumb way to say it, Adam. All birds fly. No, they don't. No, they don't. Some birds don't fly. How many of you understand that in order for a bird to fly, it, it, it needs wings, but it needs particular kinds of wings, right? Like the wings literally have to have a certain kind of shape. How many of you know that when, when people were trying to learn how to fly, the first thing they did was really to begin to ob- observe birds and they never could fly. We couldn't get our airplanes off the ground until we got the shape right. And birds have that little, there's a curve to their wing when it's out, right? It's like, there's a little, and not only that, but maybe, maybe you've ever seen a little bird or maybe you watched a little nature channel and I didn't know this till the other day. I've been on a nature kick. You guys know this if you've been listening to my sermons lately. Birds have hollow bones, like really hot, like their bones are so thin. Why? Because, because function, function is constrained by form. How many of you know you're not going to get something big and heavy off the ground like that? And so the lighter you can be and the shape, it matters a lot. This is why why many, many birds do fly, but it's also why kiwis and ostriches don't fly. They don't have the right wings. Their Their form has constrained them to some other function. Does that make sense? I want you to think about this. I want you to think about wheels. Wheels. It's a form that allows for efficient movement. And you know what? I can't think of the word form without thinking about concrete. Shout out to every contractor in the room. <laughs> I can't think about form without thinking about concrete. Uh, you can pour concrete on the ground, 
But without the forms, you'll never have a patio or a sidewalk. You'll just have blobs in your front yard. I mean, you, you can call IMI and you can have them bring 10 yards of concrete. And if there's not some forms around, you'll just have a giant blob of concrete in your front yard. And how many of you know that if you have a giant blob of concrete in your front yard and there are no forms around it and it's just a blob, you don't have a patio, you have a problem. <laughs> and it's kind of funny, but it actually, it's, it goes deeper than that. Think of your own formation. A life without constraint, it's a problem. It's actually a problem. It will never become like Jesus. It will become a problem. This is why we talk about formation. Forms literally constrain the materials to the point that they can have a higher function. Christian, function, Christian formation is the same. We need practices like prayer and worship to form us into different kinds of being. That's what it's about. Christian formation. Um, the goal of Christian formation is to live like Jesus in the world. So maybe we should just do a little, little crowd participation here for a moment. <clears throat> There's several hundred of us in the room, and I believe that you guys are smart. <laughs> the goal of Christian formation is to live like Jesus in the world. So would a few people in the room, would a few people in the room name a few things about Jesus that seem to be important? I'm sorry, say that again, Lori. Compassion. Jesus has compassion. Do we all agree with Lori? And yeah, we do, Lori, you're right, 100 points. <laughs> what, what, else seems, what else seems to be of importance about Jesus? What is in high relief? What is it about his person or his character that's in high relief for us? Something else. I'm sorry, say it again. Holy. He's holy. He has a heart for the lost. Jesus loves the lot. Jesus loves sinners is the way I would even say it. You know, Jesus loves sinners. I'm sorry, what over here? He's a forgiver. He's a forgiver. On the cross, Jesus forgives the very people who nailed his hands and feet. He says, you know what? You're only doing this because you don't know what you're doing. Right? Who is like him? What else? He's a healer. You cannot read the gospel. You can barely turn a page without Jesus healing somebody. Everywhere he goes. Something else. He pursued God's will. He said, you know what? I'm, you know, I would really rather not do this cross thing. Father, if, if there's another way, could we maybe avoid this? But it's not my will, but what? Your will. Jesus, man, can you imagine that? Now, listen, Jesus is God and he is saying, you know what? I will constrain my will to the fathers. What? Who does that? Who does that? Now, now think about the way that we live our wills in today's culture. Everything is about what? My will be done. My will be done. Anything else about Jesus that needs to be said this morning? Maybe. He appreciates simple things. What did you say, Raymond? Jesus can be calm. Uh, one of my favorite stories about Jesus is uh, there's a storm that blew up on the water and everybody gets real freaked out. And they, they wake Jesus up because he's asleep in the back of the boat. You know, the things that wake you up, Jesus sleeps through. That's the point of that story. He is not concerned, Right. Like he cares, but he's not concerned. That's a, that's a different kind of Jesus, isn't it? Or maybe one more. I'm sorry, say this. Prayer and solitude. Like Jesus would do public ministry. The crowds would swamp him and then he would go off by himself to pray. He was always doing that. Finally, something from the left. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right, here's today's scripture. Um, Kate has already read, but we're going to read it again. This is Acts chapter 2. 
42 through 47. And perhaps nowhere in scripture do we get, do we get the whole circle of how you pray and worship becomes how you believe, which becomes how you live in this world. Like this, these five verses, it's everything. It's like the whole thing right here all together. It says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And then a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. I'll turn it over here, can't see. They sold their property and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I wanted to talk out of this passage this morning because it's such a clear example of the way we pray becomes what we believe, which becomes the way we live. Uh, here's what's happened up to this point. The Spirit has moved in the upper room. It's been about 120 people hidden away. This is after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. This is after Jesus has ascended and left the planet. And then the Spirit comes on that 120. They spill out into the streets. They're speaking in tongues. People are like, what is going on? Peter preaches a message, and then 3,000 people believe in that day. And then the very next thing we see after Peter's message is the passage we just read. And part of what I see in that is, is they moved, the early church moved instantly from a move of the Spirit into a formation project. That was the move. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 are two things. We see the fast work of God, but then we also see the slow work of God. And I want to say something. Here at the Vineyard, we welcome the fast work of God like the fast, instantaneous, powerful move of the Spirit. We're open to it. We desire it. We pray for it. We ask God for it. We ask God for more. And at the Vineyard, we are also open to uh, and desirous of the slow move of God, the slow work of God. In fact, most of God's work is not the fast work. It's actually mostly slow. And what you get in Acts chapter 2 is you get the, the fast work of God and you get the slow work of God. Uh, the fast work of God is all that stuff Upper room, Peter's sermon, everybody getting baptized, everyone believes, right? The slow work of God is everything we read this morning, 42 through 47. What is it? It's like listening to the apostles' teaching, praying together, sharing meals in homes, having the Lord's Supper. That's how you form a community. And because of that, because of that, Acts says that the, that the early church had four devotions, and I'll just name those to you really quickly. Seth, if you can put up verse 42. Uh, all of them are in verse 42. These are the four devotions of the early church. This is, this is how you make space for the slow work of God. They were devoted to the, the, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, especially the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Those are the four devotions of the early church. Uh, every single one of those four devotions are the lex orendi of the formational process of the early church. This was how they prayed and this was how they worshiped. This is, this, is the, this is the concrete forms 
that made a patio instead of a problem. This is the constraint that after the spirit began to move that the, the early church accepted. And you know, when I read that, sometimes I go, this is so basic. And I guess the first thing I want to point out this morning is how basic all of this is. It's basic in the sense that most of us in the room already know this stuff, at least intellectually. We know, you know, Christians ought to get together and Christians ought to pray. We ought to like receive communion once and again. We ought to like be taught by the Bible. Like we, 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 we know that. And what's wild to me, what's wild to me is that these things can have such a big impact. And here's why it's wild. It's wild that the impulse after a dramatic move of the Spirit where 3,000 people came to Christ in one day after people were speaking in tongues and like the Spirit is moving in a, dramatic to me, in a dramatic way. It's wild to me that the impulse after that move is to get together, to pray, to hear the Scriptures and share in communion. That was the impulse. No, no, one, no one in Acts chapter 2 said, you know what we need to do? We need to start a ministry called Upper Room. We're going to have a conference called Upper Room. You know, like we have been kicking butt and taking names. Let's get a van and a big speaker system. And let's, let's, pray, let's pray for Upper Room Revival. I love that no one did that. I love that no one did that. In fact, on, I meant to get it this morning. I just totally forgot. But there's, a, there's a man that I love so much. He's been such an influence in the vineyard. He's not a vineyard guy. He's an Anglican, actually, but he tweeted something really brilliant yesterday. It's a man named Mike Pilavachi, and Mike Pilavachi yesterday tweeted, if, if you pursue revival, you'll get disappointment. But if you pursue Jesus, you'll get revival and everything else. And that's exactly what the early church did. Like, they have this fast move of God. You want to call revival? Fine. Call revival. And their impulse wasn't, let's do revival. Their impulse was, Let's hear from the scriptures. Let's share meals in homes. Let's pray together. Let's have communion. Like these were the basic things. It's wild to me that this is their impulse. Wild to me. The spirit is poured out and the impulse is to pray and worship together. By the way, and then it's that prayer and it's that worship that makes more room and more space for another move of the spirit. It's kind of like, Kind of like flowers and fruit. Flowers and fruit. Maybe my favorite time in Kentucky. I know everybody likes fall. Fall's a little disappointing to me. Because I know what's coming. Five months of gray. Is that, is that too melancholy? Yeah. That's how I am. I love springtime in Kentucky because there is nothing like April 15 till the end of May. I mean, everything just starts blowing up. Like when the red buds start blooming and the dogwoods are blooming, and then Matt Despain and I go into the woods and shoot turkeys in the face, it's the best. It's literally the best. I recommend it. I highly recommend it. Anyway, but... But that moment in Kentucky is just amazing. Everything blooms. Like it's, and, and the blooms, they feel instantaneous. Like after, after the five months of gray that we get here in the winter, it's like you just look out your window one day and there's daffodils. You're like, where did those come from? Those little March, little, where did those come from? You're like, 
there's March lilies outside my window and Kentucky's on and let's, this is amazing, right? But every single flower, every single flower is not just a beautiful moment. It's actually, it's actually fruit. That's what a flower is. You know, flowers are all fruit potential. And so they attract the little bee. I'm back into nature. Gosh, this is wild, isn't it? Back into nature. But, but how many of you know that flowers seem instant, but it takes another four months to get the fruit? Right. You know, we have a vineyard on our farm and like the flowers are actually really unimpressive on grapevines, but you get these little flowers and it's really exciting because you know every single one of those little flowers is a, is a grape, but it takes another four and a half, five months to get the grapes, you know? It's the fast work and it's the slow work of God. It's the outpouring of the Spirit and then it's the impulse to gather and to pray and to receive communion. This is how, this is how it works. Next thing I want to say to you about this passage is this. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 is, is a vision of community formation, but also community transformation. Uh, I hope you notice that all the practices in 242 through 47, uh, they were communal practices. It wasn't just personal piety. It wasn't personal study or prayer. Uh, those are important. I believe in them. But the thrust is, these are the things we can do together. These are the things we have to do together. It's not just stuff that we do alone. It's, it's things we do together. It's a formed community that becomes a transformed community. That's what Acts chapter 2, 42 through 40 says. It says, a formed community will become a transformed community. And sometimes, sometimes we desire a transformed community uh, and for good reason, but we skip right over the formational process or, or we take on or formation process that's something different than the early church had here in Acts. Sometimes what we do is we make, we make formation a political platform. That's really, really current right now especially in the church. It's, the, it's literally the plague that sits on the church right now. Sometimes we've uh, made transformation equal political party. We make it about votes in November. And I want to say to the church, again, because I've been saying it for several years now, nothing is more dangerous to your formation than politics. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, couple things here when it comes to this kind of transformation. The reason it's so dangerous is because the kingdom of heaven is neither Republican nor Democrat. And oftentimes when I say this, people assume I'm making an appeal towards centrism. I can assure you I am not. I want you to hear this so clear. I am not making an appeal towards centrism. Instead, instead, what I'm doing is I'm contrasting, I'm making a contrasting appeal towards the politics of Jesus, which he called the kingdom of God. There, there's, it's, not, it's not like left or right, and you know, if, as Christians, to be good, we want to be in the middle. No, no. As Christians, we want to take on the politics of Jesus, which are what he called the kingdom of God, where the poor in spirit are blessed, where the peacemakers are our sons and daughters of God, where children are welcome, where swords are beat into plows. 
Like this is the Old Testament vision. This is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, like God's kingdom, the one that Jesus is prince over, is the one where every tool of destruction, every sword and every gun and every weapon of warfare will be melted and beat into something different. It'll be turned into a plow. Everything that was used for destruction will be made for fruit, for beautification, for, for human flourishing. These are the politics of Jesus, where enemies are forgiven. I mean, Jesus puts it right up front. Like, anybody can be good to people who are good to you. Can you be good to people who are not good to you? Can you pray for them? These are the politics of Jesus, where thieves make it in. You know, Jesus hanging on the cross. One of the thieves on his side says, hey, do me a favor. Don't forget about me when you go into paradise. Jesus is like, before the end of the day, we'll be together. These are the politics of Jesus. You know, oftentimes, oftentimes the politics of American politics are, you know what? You get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. And that formation will break you. That formation will be concrete in your front yard that's a problem. The politics of Jesus are thieves can get in. Thieves can get in, and aren't you glad? And, and here's the other thing I want to say about the politics of Jesus. The politics of Jesus are this. They're where the prince of heaven is the crucified one. The prince of heaven, the prince of heaven is the one who was treated the worst. The prince of heaven is the person who is crucified. The one who currently rules and reigns in the universe is the crucified Jesus who laid down his life Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the politics of Jesus. Any other transformational mode, any other transformational agenda, especially the American political one, will ruin you. We must take on the politics of Jesus. We must take those on. Uh, number two, uh, if we become tribal, see, oftentimes when we take up other transformational modes, we don't just become political. We become something maybe even one step beyond political, we become tribal. And if we become tribal, here's what happens. We build walls that Jesus is trying to tear down. We keep people out that Jesus is trying to welcome in. The politics of Jesus. We build walls where Jesus wants to tear them down. We keep people out that Jesus is welcoming in. We make transformation. Here's the other thing we oftentimes do with transformation. We make transformation an afterlife project. You know, believe this thing about Jesus and your afterlife will be okay. I want to tell you, that's garbage. That is garbage. Believe some things about Jesus so that your present life will be okay. Every single time, every single time that Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, he was not principally talking about after you die. He was talking about here and now. Jesus is not trying to get you into heaven so much as he's trying to get heaven into you today. These are the things that disciples know, and we will only know it, we will only know it as we worship, as we pray, as we receive the scriptures, and as we receive communion, and as we share life in each other's homes together. We will only know it by that. We need the fast work and the slow work of God to change us. Transform community. Instead, Jesus says, 
Instead, Jesus says this, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, I hope you notice there's no escape in that prayer. There is no escape in that prayer, and it's for today, not just for later. Okay, next, signs of a formed community. Here are the signs of a transformed community. The formed community does prayer, does communion, gathers, receives teaching from the Bible. That's, that's the formation. The transformation in the scriptures is this. All, A-W-E, all. It's hard to say. Why is that so hard to say? All. I feel like I'm saying it wrong. And then there's that little tool, the all, the A-W-L. And then there's all. I feel so bad for anybody who's trying to learn English. Lord, help everybody. Mostly me. Here are, the, here are the signs of a transformed community. Awe. It says everybody was filled with awe. Like awe and wonder. Awe. Miracles. The apostles did many miracles. Uh, number three, sharing. People sold their property to take care of people who didn't have enough. Dude. A lot of people wish that wasn't in the Bible. <laughs> They worshiped together in their homes. And then there's a switch on number five and six. There was goodwill. The community had goodwill from outsiders. And then there was salvation. Here, here's my question. Who wouldn't like to be a part of that kind of church? Wouldn't you like to be that? I want to be a, I want to be a part of that kind of church. This is, this is the Lex Vivendi of our, form, of our formulation. Oh, a sense of God's presence, miracles, God's power on display, sharing. Uh, by the way, this is a miracle. The kind of sharing that they had, like this kind of sharing is literally a miracle. Uh, worship forms us. It's a sign of transformation. Goodwill. People look and say, you know what? Those Christians, they're weird, but they're good. You know, that's what they were saying. And then salvation, more people are like, you know what? I want to live like that. Not just I want to believe like that, but I want to live like that. That's what, that's what Acts chapter 2 is saying. They're not principally holding out to the looking culture a thing to believe. They're inviting them into a different way to live. And people are like, I want to do things that you guys are doing. You know, one of the things we often do in the church is just tell people we'll believe a thing. No, let's show them a way to live. That's, that's, the, that's the key here. These are signs of a particular kind of life. And one of the things that unifies all these six things is it's shared. All of these things are shared. God's presence says on all. Everyone was filled with awe. Everyone. Miracles in their midst. Literal sharing. Uh, the signs, in, when it comes to sharing here, the signs were not, and I have to make this really clear, the signs were not that everyone in the church got richer and lived their best life. This is, I want you to say this right now. This is really challenging. Because what, here's what we, this is what we think of like when we think of like, what is a transformed life? And what's a transformed community? Transformed community is where everybody's living blessed and gets richer. And yet what we see in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, the most blessed church maybe ever wasn't everyone got richer. It was that the poor got richer and the rich got what? Poorer. It's hectic. Goodwill in the community. These... These were not signs that a few got. That's what I love about this too. These were not things that a few people got. It's what everyone 
God. There was something in the water. I want to end here. Last thing I want to say about this passage is, I hope we see that in these signs of a transformed community that there's an outward path. I want you to notice that the things that start internal eventually become external. The things that were happening on the inside of the community eventually become an open door to the watching world. Notice that it starts with God's presence on everyone in the community. Uh, there's miracles and teaching in their midst. Then, then there's sharing of material wealth. And then this switch happens. Then there's goodwill in the community. Then there's salvation. God begins to add daily. The presence of God always leads us out. The presence of God always turns us to the communities we live in. The presence of God that we experience here together always turns us and causes us to face our families. Always, always turns us and causes us to face our neighborhoods, uh, our schools, the places where we work, the places where we do life. It's always leading us outward. Uh, it, it always reaches others. And by the way, the presence of God at work in a community like this it always makes room for more. That's what it does. It, it never says, you know, us for and no more, you know, or whatever that is. It never says this is enough and that's fine and everybody else can just go do whatever they have to do. It always becomes room for more. It never, it never, becomes, it never becomes an enclave of the convinced. This is the other thing that you read in the Gospels and in Acts too. The church never becomes an enclave of, of the convinced. Because, it, because the presence of God always leads us outward, because it's always making room for more, because people are moving to us if we're actually being transformed, here's what, here's what that means. The church will always, always be a mixture of people who believe and people who don't. People who are sure and people who are not. It will never become homogenous in the way that we would like. And here's what that means. It will always be pretty difficult. You know, that's what it means. It never stops with, with the people who already believe. And so I just want to land here as the worship band comes on up. What does that mean for us here? Well, maybe a few things. One, one this is another call for us to take our, our Christian formation seriously. It's, it's, another, it's another call for us to say, God, would you, would you put the forms around my life? Would you add constraint to my life so that something awesome could happen? You know, I, I don't want to be a blob of concrete in the front yard. I don't want to be a problem. You know what? And, and some of us, you know, maybe you're like, I think things are going pretty well. Let me just tell you something else about human life too. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes when you're 18 or 20 or 22, life can be pretty good and you think it's okay. But, but here, here's what's really going on. You just haven't lived long enough for the trajectory of all of your decisions to take you to where you're really going. Let me tell you this. I'm 44, and I've got a beard like Santa Claus. <laughs> and it's, I earned it. <laughs> but I want to say this. Like the decisions you're making right now, especially like you guys and gals who are 18, 20, 25, I want to say that like who you are right now, it may feel like, oh, things are going pretty good. I'm like getting, I'm going to college. I'm getting a degree that matters or I have a, a job in the field I like and I 
have a boyfriend or I have a girlfriend. I think I might get married. I have some money in my pocket. Things are okay. I have friends. And I want to say, that is awesome. High fives and get ready. Are you, are you preparing to be a 50-year-old person? Because people's lives explode in their mid-40s and 50s. Why? Because there was no constraints. No constraints. No constraints. So one of our prayers today is, man, we want to be like Jesus. And God, would you, would you put the constraints on us that we might be formed to Jesus? Uh, the second thing, I just want to make this really, really practical for us. Uh, we have fall groups that are starting up. Kate made that announcement this morning and there was a QR code that we didn't know about. <laughs> we have a ton of good leaders. Hey, listen, the early church met together, not just on Sunday morning, but in homes. And I wanna say one of the ways that you can add constraint to your life that will bring joy. I hope you noticed in the passage, joy was one of the words that was in there. How many of y'all want more joy in your life? Get with people, do the Jesus thing with others, sign up for a group. In fact, I have a group it's gonna meet at Hardin Coffee on 7.30 in the morning on Friday mornings and it's for guys and we're just gonna to get together and pray. And I think it's capped at like eight people. So I hope somebody will sign up for my group so I'm not there alone, right? And what are we gonna do? We're gonna drink coffee and it'll be pretty boring. We'll just drink coffee and I'll be like, what's going on in your life? And you'll tell me and then I'll tell you what's going on in my life and I'll be like, can you pray for me? And then I'll pray for you. And we'll actually do it there in the coffee shop and you know what'll happen? We'll become friends and at the end, we'll end up sharing the Jesus thing together and it forms us, you know? Uh, second thing, well, actually, that's the third thing. Third thing, third thing, in just a few weeks, September 18, we're going to two services. And I wanna tell you, I'm actually very, very excited about this. Uh, part of it is a bummer because it's really fun to be in the room together. Like, this is fun. But how many of you know we're, we're breaking the building? And it's, it's, it's kind of works right here, but this, doesn't work over there. The kids, the kids wing is a disaster right now, like a big disaster. And we have to go to two services. And uh, here's what I want to say about that. Just like the early church was experiencing God's presence and he was adding growth and made room for more. That's what we're doing right now. Uh, I don't know if you all can feel it or not, but like the wind of the Holy Spirit is at our backs right now. I mean, I, I, I just want you to know this, like as a staff, we're very aware of it because we, we led the church through 2020 and 21 when, when it felt like the wind of the Spirit was not at our back. In fact, it felt like every demonic spirit in hell was like coming at our faces for two years. And it feels so good to have the wind of the Spirit at your back. Oh, it just feels so good, you know? Let me tell you two little things. Like we had ministry team training here last week, last Sunday night. We're gonna do another one tonight. And if you didn't sign up, I'm sorry, you can't come. We'll do it again because it's capped. I mean, it's capped, but we're doing another one in February. But, but last Sunday night, we did ministry team training and I've already heard, I've, I haven't talked to everybody who came. I, I talked to some people this morning and people told two significant healing stories this morning from people who came to ministry team training and got prayed, got prayed for by people who are not on staff at any church, just regular folks. The wind of the Spirit is at our back. And let me tell you what happens. Let me tell you what happens when those kinds of things happen. When we get together to pray and we get together to worship and we sing Future Past the way we sang it this morning. You know, you will be formed the Spirit of God. I mean, how many of you all could feel the Spirit of God in this room this morning? And I don't think I've preached it away yet either. You know, like He's here. Part of what that means is more people want to come. And we're not going to be the church that says you can't. 
So we're gonna do another service, and here's what that means. It means that everybody here has to give more, you know? Uh, it means that everybody here, if you're not a volunteer, dude, I need you to volunteer. I need you to make coffee. I need you to greet somebody, teach a kid's class. If you can pass a background check, like... <laughs> things you got to say, you know? And if you can't, you'll make coffee. It's all good. Like there's a place. I mean, you laugh, but there's a place for you. Like at the, at the vineyard, I just want to tell you, at the vineyard, you can be a criminal, man. We love you. My goodness, we've had so many criminals at the vineyard. Are you kidding me? Like we are, this is part of who we are. We've never been the elite. We've always been the outsider. We got a spot for you. It's probably not in the kid's wing, but we have a spot for you. But I need, I need every single person here. I need every single person here. And then finally, you know, I think it's number four now. Number four, school is starting and has started at many places, you know? And uh, man, it's that forward facing thing. We have so many school teachers here, so many school administrators, so many professors. Uh, we have like athletic directory folks here. Like we got, we got all the things. Hey, if you're a teacher or an admin, will you just put your hand up right now? Of any kind, look at this. It's always been this way here. Yeah. Okay, so here's what I want to say about that. It's that forward facing thing, right? Like we're this community together, but the spirit of God is always leading us out. And I just want to say to the teachers, the administrators, the school folks who make it work, the athletic directors, all you people, here's what I want to say. Like, you are so important. You are so important. There is kingdom work that cannot be done here. It, only, it can only be done at school. And so I just want to say to you, like, will you take some of this stuff that happens here, will you take it to these schools and will you give it to little kids who, man, don't have another chance any other way? And even, like, you can be in college and still don't have a chance, you know? You just need somebody to come and encourage you. And I just want to say to school folks, two, two lines, two lines, like two or three lines of kindness to a kid can change their life. It happens all the time. Like kids who don't believe something will start to believe something. And that works negative, but it also works positive. And you can look right at a kid and be like, you know what? You are really smart and I see something in your life and it could change their life. So take this stuff here because that's what Jesus does. By the way, Jesus was a teacher. So, um, we want to sing this morning. I feel the Lord. I love when this happens. Mm. Talk about Jesus, you get Jesus. Yeah. Why don't we stand this morning? Uh, when we're done singing this song, uh, we're going to have some ministry team folks right up here. And here's what that means. If you need prayer for any reason, we want to invite you to come. Father, thank you. Amen. Matt, I've said enough. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of The Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at The Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.